0: Praise God, you guys. He is glorious. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 and 8, Revelation 21. And when you get there, we're in Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. But there's a lot of vantage points because there's a key verse that we have been looking at a little bit, and it's after the new heaven and the new earth is beginning to be described with no more curse and death and so forth. And in verse 7, he says, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And it's a glorious verse because it's the overcomer who inherits these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And the reason I've kept out on this verse a little bit and will continue to do so for some time is many believers those who are putting their faith in Jesus, who are trusting the Lord, uh, a lot of times they view faith as mental assent, you know? Just believe a state of facts. In fact, some of their leaders say, it's just, you don't have to repent in the sense of turning from evil and embracing Jesus through faith. You can just believe that he died for you just like you believe George Washington existed. Just have a belief that that happened. Well, the Bible warns that that's a demonic faith. It says the demons believe and tremble. But that kind of faith doesn't save them, amen? The faith that saves you is faith that what? Leans in, trust in Jesus, that puts our hope in Jesus, amen, that turns to Jesus, a faith that follows Jesus, a faith that's expressed, right, in. that's fruitful, amen? The Bible says faith without works is what? Dead. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace, it says through faith, okay, So we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves, as it's been said, is never alone. Amen. True saving faith is never alone. It always has evidence to it. In fact, demons have more evidence of faith than a lot of people who claim to be Christians because the Bible says they believe and tremble. At least they tremble but there's so many millions of professing believers out there today that aren't in fellowship but they claim to believe in Jesus. They're getting drunk, you know, at least on the weekend or throughout the week, uh, partying, chasing women, looking at pornography, doing their own thing and there's not the obedience of faith, you know? And they're 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 very misguided. The Bible says be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's in James chapter 1. The Bible says they profess to know him, but by their works they deny him. The Bible talks about those who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. God's word said, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Amen. We have not yet been made perfect, but we are on the road to glory. The name of this message is Seven Steps to Heaven's Glory. And the reason I'm here concentrated on this verse for some time and we'll explicate the overcomer and what it means to be an overcomer in more detail as we go through this little series on being an overcomer is even though we wouldn't read overcomer in this series but it's been kind of a series is because one of the synonyms for a believer in the new testament is the one who overcomes an overcomer and i wish that term was used more okay a lot of people say hey are you a believer you know uh, Landell just sent us a text, my wife and I. Hey, can you pray for this person? Because they say they're a believer, but, and they believe in Jesus and everything, but they don't go to church, they're not fellowship, they're not apparently really following. And so it might be more uh, advantageous to get, more, get somewhere with someone to say, because a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a believer, you know? Yeah, I have faith, you know, I believe in Jesus. It's to say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, are you an overcomer? What do you mean? Are you an overcomer? I mean, that's going to put people on the spot, right? It's going to make them think. What do you mean, overcomer? Well, the Bible talks about those believers that are with him in the very end, the children of God, sons of God, that are in the new heaven and new earth are called overcomers. Okay? And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, we overcome through our faith. It's in the present tense, continuous faith. And Revelation 21, because, well, what do you mean present tense? Meaning faith is not just a one-time act, okay? It's something that just shall live by faith, amen? Now, it's important to understand, because in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it defines the overcomer again. And they overcame him. Remember this passage? They overcame Satan. It's talking about Satan there. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's the ground of our victory. That's, how, that's the payment for our sins by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's expression of our faith, right? We confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. And it says they did not love their lives unto death. So true overcoming is a faithful uh, following, putting our trust in Jesus to death. Doesn't mean you didn't fall short during that time. Doesn't mean there wasn't a time you didn't backslide. But it means, guess what? You got back up and you're going in the faith and you hit the finish line, Amen. And so I love this because now they've crossed the finish line. This book is history written in advance, amen? Because God knows everything that would take place, every decision everybody would make, amen? And here he shows that there will be a group of overcomers. We need to make sure we're among them, amen? Because the Bible predicts in the last days, Jesus warned that many would fall away. He said that in Matthew 24, he said many would fall away. And he said, he went on to say, he that endures the end will be what? Will be saved, okay? Okay. So it's very, very important to understand that we're living in a last day territory and there's a lot of people falling away left and right. Can't, again, there's so many heresies out there, so much false doctrine, so many people living wicked lives, claiming to be Christians It just, it, 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 I understand why Jesus says, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It makes you wanna throw up when you see what's going on out there and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Now, uh, the just shall live by faith, the Bible says. Hebrews 11:6 says, but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11:6. And then it gives a profile of all these different overcomers. Those saints who are in the hall of faith, amen? Who it says all of these died in the faith. It emphasizes this final salvation a lot in Hebrews. That's God's heart that we, would, that we would hold tenaciously to the gospel. Turn to 1 Corinthians, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If I asked you where the gospel is clearly described by the apostle Paul, uh, you should go to 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. In fact, Wally Tope, a friend of mine, Lord, uh, uh, he was kicked to death street witnessing one time uh, during the street riot riots. He was put in a coma and he died sometime later in the hospital. He had written some books on Mormonism, or at least one book on Mormonism I had, and a uh, dear, awesome brother in the Lord, and he was street witnessing during the LA riots, okay, dangerous, right? Just put handy tracks to people that were coming out of a building that were looting. Okay, that's kind of dangerous, right? And then he was kicked to death. And Wally was just a super bold guy. He was real slight of frame, you know, and real vulnerable on a physical level. But he was bold as a lion for Jesus. And he had told me that he had gone up to the president, the head prophet of Mormonism, Followed him around a little bit in Utah. It was kind of interesting. But he, he met, he, when he was getting on a bus, he confronted him and said, hey, as the president of the LDS, or the, the Mormon, which we would understand as being cultic, he goes, can you tell me where Paul declares the gospel? And he says what the gospel is. And all he got was, mm, uh, uh, n- no. And he read this to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one through four. Paul says, I make known to you Brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you what stand, by which also you are what saved. And in the Greek, it's in the present tense. Uh, could, a more literal translation would be, "By grace, you are being saved." Uh, even though we have been saved too, we believe that we've been saved in the Arist tense already. Amen. If you die today and you're trusting Jesus right now, absent for the body, you're present with the Lord. Amen. But the, the tenses are, I, love, I wish the tenses were brought out more, though, because they're powerful. They're beautiful. And they show you how this, our faith, it's a dynamic faith. It's a relationship. Amen. By which you are being saved, if you what? If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Amen. So uh, we'll get back to that verse in a second. But look what the gospel is. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he lets us know that he first, when he first preached to these Corinthians and they became Christians, the first thing he shared with them when he witnessed to them was that Jesus died for our sins. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you should never tell somebody that Jesus died for their sins because he only died for a few special pet-elect people. Okay, Because the scripture is very clear that Paul here says, this, what I first declared to you, Corinthians, was that Jesus died for our sins. Amen. That's why we can know that we have eternal life because we don't have to doubt whether he loves us or whether he died for us, amen? And then he says, but that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, amen? Do you realize the sin, debt that we owe, the condemnation that we stand under outside of Christ, okay? Before Jesus died for us, everybody was doomed. And when Jesus died, they were still doomed until they put what? Faith in Christ, amen? But Jesus provided salvation for the world. The Bible says he's a savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He's a savior of all people in that he died for everybody, but it's especially for those who believe. If you killed the Passover lamb before the 10th plague, right? And it laid bleeding there and the sacrifice was there, but you refused to apply the blood to your door, the doorpost in the form of a cross, would the death angel pass your home? No, your firstborn would be killed. Okay, the blood is not efficacious until it's applied to our hearts and it's not applied through works, it's applied through faith, amen? So Jesus died, he paid for our sins and praise God this Lord's Day, we'll be celebrating the fact that he died for us when we we take the Lord's Supper, amen? And we should never allow that to escape our notice for one moment of one day. It should always be something that our hearts, what he had done for us. In fact, he says, uh, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that's according to the Old Testament prophecies because that was the scriptures that they had then and the, the New Testament was being written and Paul witnessed out of the Old Testament, pretty remarkable, uh, verse four. And he was buried and that he ra- uh, was raised on the third day according to what? The scriptures. And there's many scriptures that speak of the death of the Messiah, uh, the suffering servant who lay his life down and the resurrection of Messiah according to the scriptures. Now, praise God for his glorious resurrection. That's part of the gospel. And when Peter explicates the gospel and preaches it in the book of Acts, he emphasizes the resurrection a lot as well. But go back to verse two. He talks about this gospel at the end of verse one, in which you stand, by which you also you, what? Are being saved, what? If you, What? Hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. Okay? You have to hold it fast. That's an emphasis that is not, it's emphasized throughout the New Testament. I kind of trip out, because when I'm reading the scripture, and I love to read the word, I'll read the scripture, I'm constantly seeing this, and what God's word says, but then when I hear it, you know, often preached, or radio preachers, TV preachers, or wherever, oftentimes there's no emphasis on the importance of Continuing in the faith, holding fast the faith. Otherwise, you believe to no ultimate effect. Otherwise, you're like, remember the stewards that Jesus talked about? And they got different talents. And the one that buried his talent and didn't do anything with it, he received his talent in vain. Okay? That was in vain. And at judgment, guess what? Jesus says, calls him a wicked servant. You know? He's cast into outer darkness. That's sad but we're called to continue or to hold the faith. This, we're reading about the gospel. God's provided salvation for us, amen? We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works that anyone should boast, but there is the condition of faith. You must put your trust in the Lord, and you must hold fast to your faith. Paul warned Timothy to hold on to his faith and watch out, because he's right after he says that, uh, he says to hold his faith, right? Fight the good fight. And he says, because certain men, he mentions a couple of them, like Hymenaeus there, who have shipwrecked their faith, okay? So it's important for us as believers to continue to look to Jesus every day for our salvation, you never get your eyes on yourself and say, it's about me and what I'm doing and living for yourself or, or going to some kind of works trip where it's about, you know, I'm going to earn points with God or whatever. You always look to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and you put your faith in him. And guess what? You, as you're trusting Jesus, if you're truly trusting him and following him, right? And you're putting your faith in him, there will be fruit. Okay? Different degrees of fruit in different believers' lives. But the Bible talks about how we're to uh, there's in in a, in a uh, large house. It says in First Timothy or Second Timothy two twenty. There are you know uh, in a large house. He says that there are vessels of gold and silver, and there are also vessels of wood and, and earthenware. And he says cleanse yourself of these things. And he's talking about false teachers and false teachings and wickedness. Right before that, right that you may be a vessel of honor, because he says there's vessels of honor, and vessels of dishonor. And he says cleanse yourself so you can be a vessel of honor. Amen? Well, you're not clean, you don't cleanse yourself with your own soap or your own hands, okay? You come to Jesus, amen? That's how you get cleansed and you ask for forgiveness. And you repent because it literally says cleanse out, ek, okay? From a Greek word with it's, uh, catharsis is an uh, English word we get from the next word. And it talks about, uh, you know, basically turning from those things, embracing Jesus. Amen? And so uh, it's imperative that we understand that we have to, we have to wash ourselves in his blood, Amen. We're purified by the blood of Jesus. But you, you and I are called to faith. Because God wills, the Bible says God wills that a few would be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says God wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And there's one meeting between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. and the next verse says, who gave himself a ransom for all. Gave himself a ransom for all? And he doesn't will that any would perish, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, but that all would come to repentance. And in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, the Lord says, As I live, declares the Lord, he says to tell them this, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way. Turn ye, turn ye, you know, from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? So his heart is for us to turn from wickedness and embrace Jesus Christ." As our Lord and Savior. And then when we're trusting Him, recognize that salvation isn't just for the day that you come to Him. Salvation is the just shall live by faith. Amen. And that's a quotation, by the way, that Habakkuk declares that in the Old Testament. They weren't saved by keeping the law in the Old Testament. You could never be saved by keeping the law. Okay. That's why Hebrews 11 is about all these Old Testament people, right, that were saved by faith. Amen. And they trusted the Lord. And that's what Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. And by the way, that just shall live by faith declaration, and you hear me use that probably a lot, right? Because I love that verse. And, and guess what? It's quoted in the New Testament three times. Okay, once in Romans chapter one, once in Galatians, that's Romans 1.17, Galatians chapter three, verse 11, and then in Hebrews chapter three, verses 38 and 39. So that, ver- th- that, that passage, that, that quotation there, it's, it's central to the New Testament, not the just, it's not the just shall have a one-time moment of faith when they uh, raise their hand at some altar call, but the just shall live by faith. And last time, last week, we talked about the overcomer in respect to the race of salvation that we're in, amen, and those that persevere, uh, they receive the crown of life instead of that, that, that veg- vegetable wreath, you know, that the Olympians of those days uh, tried to strive for that would be per- with, with perishable wreaths, it says. Now, it's interesting the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm calling this Seven Steps to Heaven's Glory because uh, when we look at it from God's perspective and what He calls us to in His plan of our salvation, there's uh, sometimes I say, you know, when some people, like my wife was in C A when I met her. I knew her years earlier, but when I uh, started coming to a, a, a church I was at and, and we got reacquainted, and I was tripping out because. Uh, she was going to these, all these programs, but everybody was just filled with smoke, and everybody sleeping with each other and all this stuff. And I said, you know what? You need the one-step program. You know, you need Jesus, you know? And then she quit AA and AA and CA and never had to look back, amen? Because anyone's being in Christ. He's a new creation we talked about, amen? But when we talk about one step, Jesus is the, is the one, amen? But there's all kinds of things that happen along the way, okay? You can call many steps within the major step, amen? And the seven steps that I'm talking about are election, these are all mentioned in Scripture, and these are distinct from one another, but related. Election, predestination, calling, justification, regeneration, sanctification, and glorification. Can anybody repeat that real quickly, please? There's a lot there, right? But we're going to break each of those down, and obviously we could spend one Sunday on each of those, or several Sundays, but we're going to spend one Sunday on all seven of them, so I will not be able to get in a whole lot of detail, because I want to look at the force instead of focus just on one tree in this message. Uh, because it's kind of what we did with the race last week, right? We looked at a lot of passages, you know. And, uh, but, uh, and we see some of those steps mentioned in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Let's look at Romans eight twenty-nine. In verse 29 and 30 of Romans chapter 8, we read this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also what? Called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. So you'll see a number of those, not all seven mentioned there, but a number that mentioned there. Amen. And sometimes we call this in theology, the golden chain okay, the golden chain of salvation, it's a, a beautiful phrase, and there's this chain of salvation, whereby the Lord leads us uh, through uh, the way of salvation, the way of Christ, which includes these things, and a couple things that Paul uh, doesn't mention there, but he mentions elsewhere, and so forth, you know. Now, it doesn't say that, uh, as Wesley would say, and I'll quote him in a minute, that everyone who was called came, right? Right? right, and everyone that was justified continued in the faith, and everybody doesn't say every one of them, but it's looking at, as he said, from God's perspective. R.C. Sproul, uh, uh, and I'm not a fan of his theology, uh, but he, he said, he admits in his book Chosen by God that, uh, yeah, it's not, it doesn't state that everybody that was, you know, called and so forth went to the next thing. It doesn't say that, uh, but John Wesley uh, states something quite interesting, uh, and he, he, he says, Paul speaks of one looking back from the goal upon the race of faith. Uh, he says this, Paul says uh, uh, that, quote, does, it does not, this passage, he says, does not affirm either here or in any other part of his writings of Paul, that is, that precisely the same number of persons are called, justified, and glorified. He does not deny that a believer may fall away and be cut off between uh, his special calling and his glorification. Neither does he deny that many are called who are never justified. He only affirms that this is the method whereby God leads us step by step toward heaven. And so the point is, is that just because you read a verse, you need to make sure the verse applies to you. It applies to you if you are in the faith, amen? If you're trusting Jesus, amen? It's a golden chain. It's not an iron padlock. Well, I was called. Yeah, but did you get justified? Yeah, I was justified. I raised my hand in a salvation call. I trusted Jesus. But did you, the just shall live by faith? Are you still trusting him? You know, so uh, it's important that we understand this because a lot of people simplify the Bible to John 3.16. And, and by the way, they don't even know, understand that John 3.16 is in the present tense or linear. It's got the present tense or the present a participle uh, which is continuous uh, in the Greek. Even in John 3.16, it emphasizes continuing to uh, believe. Now, let's start with the first one. And this is the order that I've put them in because this is the order that I can get my brain around best. And when we talk about these seven steps here, and, and guess what? Some of this might get a little heady. It's okay. You can understand a lot of it, if not most of it, if not all of it. But if you miss some things, it's okay. We're going through a lot of really cool things, okay? So you'll, grab a, you'll still grab a lot no matter what. But uh, I'll try to break it down and not go too fast either. That's my tendency. But guess what? Instead of having 15 or 20 pages, which I often have, I only have seven pages. And when I got done and I was at the bottom of the last page, right, I had to, you know, uh, take some space up here and there. And i like, oh, I wonder how many pages this is in, boom, seven exactly. I go, praise the Lord. You know, not just because it was seven. I like seven, but uh, Lord's number of perfection. But uh, not that it's a perfect message, not by a long shot, I'm sure. But because uh, it was also kind of a shorter message for such a heady thing, even though we're covered a lot of scripture. So election, election, uh, election uh, speaks of God's choice. Amen. That we've been chosen. And uh, a lot of people, you know, they're afraid of words like election and predestination. And to me, they're some of my favorite words in all the Bible because it shows me that God is in control, that he has a plan from before the world was. Amen. He's on his throne and he has a salvation plan. Amen. And that he's good. In fact, people, you know, they think election predestination, they get this idea of God being, you know, uh, in fact, you know, the the, the people that were holding the is or God hates gays. They use another word and were picketing funerals and stuff like that, Reverend Phelps, so-called, uh, and the Westboro Baptist Church, right, you know, uh, they, they literally count one, two, or seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you're going straight to hell, you know, and they believe that a lot of people, or most people, almost all people, were predetermined to go to hell and had no choice in salvation. One of the daughters of Phelps said that we're not even trying to make converts, yeah, obviously, you know, and one of his daughters came out of that movement and she's an atheist, and it's because that, pre- that determinism turns people into atheists. She said why I was taught, and, and she still believes the Bible teaches it, but she misunderstands that God's a potter and we're the clay, and she had no choice in salvation, and God makes us do evil things. You know, because we're predetermined. She says that, that he makes us do evil things, and, and that's evil, you know, and we have no choice, ultimately, she says. So I was like, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches, you know. The Bible doesn't teach that God's some kind of tyrannical monster, you know, that blames you for things he forced you to do by predetermination. And it just broke my heart, you know. But when you understand election and you understand predestination from a true biblical perspective, they're beautiful. Because what Paul, when he's emphasizing predestination, an election, in Romans and in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and Romans 9, in the books collectively, he's not saying that God's some meaning that doesn't want to save everybody. He's stating that salvation, that God's actually, it's, they're about grace, and how God's full of grace and love, and that salvation wasn't just for the Jews. Because part of the question in the book of Romans was, how come God's turning the Gentiles? What about us, Right? And Paul's letting them know, guess what? Paul's letting them know God planned to save the Gentiles long ago, and he quotes Old Testament prophecies to that end, amen? And that they've been chosen, right? We've been chosen or, uh, in, in Christ as well, those who are... Gentiles and in Ephesians, it's the same deal. In fact, he says that Jews and Gentiles make up, believing Jews and Gentiles make up one body. That's his point. It's something to celebrate that he's incorporating the Gentiles and has from the. That was his plan from the beginning. That I mean, way back in Genesis chapter twelve, verse one, he chooses Abraham. Remember, and it's through his seed. The first few verses uh, that through seed that through his seed, all the nations of the world will be what blessed. That was always God's plan. Salvation wasn't ever, Abraham and the Jews were not an end of God's plan, they were the beginning of God's plan, which would incorporate everyone who believes, amen, and puts their trust in Jesus. Whoever's putting their faith in Jesus will be saved. So it's actually, these are glorious words. I better look at my notes more, guys, or we're going to be in trouble because we're still on election. But election, okay. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that we were elect or we were chosen in him. That is in Jesus, before the foundations of the world. So even before God created the universe, we are chosen in Christ. The Bible teaches that election is by foreknowledge. God foreknows who will reject and who will accept the gospel. The Bible teaches that election is conditional. It's conditioned upon faith. Uh, The Bible teaches that election is also individual that God knows you personally before you receive Christ and he seeks to draw you by his prevenient grace. The Bible also teaches that election is corporate, it's in Christ, amen? Whoever's in Christ is our part of the elect, amen? And so it's important when we understand these things it's, it's, uh, that, that the scriptures tell us, and, and I'm breaking it down, I'm giving you four aspects of election, okay? We know that uh, it's corporate, it's in Christ. Because, and I don't want to spend a long time here, but when I say corporate, when you want to understand election, it's Jesus is the elect one. He's called God's elect servant. Prophesied in the Old Testament, that scripture is quoted by uh, Peter in 1 Peter, that he's the chosen, he's the elect one, amen? And you are elect, and God contemplates you as being uh, elect in him, in Christ. Whoever comes to Christ would be what? Saved. Those who are in Christ are part of the? elect amen so uh it's like you know it's like say here's jesus and on and he says over and over again things like come to me all of you right whosoever will amen and then you come to him and you enter into him and you become part of the body of christ and you come in through the door because he is the door amen and now you're in christ and then you look at the inside of the door to jesus and what do you see those who were chosen before the foundation of the world that's everybody who comes. So anybody can come to Jesus, but whoever comes to him will be in him and they'll be part of the chosen servant, the chosen one. They'll be part of the elect. Not because we're specifically, I'm better than that guy and I want, God wants this guy, but he doesn't want that guy. No, but because you accept the grace and mercy. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If you humble yourself and say, man, I'm a rotten sinner. I deserve death. I agree, God, and I can't merit or earn my salvation. You put your faith in Jesus and you put your trust in him. You are in Christ. Okay. Now, you can look at it as as a big ship named Jesus. Amen. You get in the ship or you can refuse to get in the ship. Or as Martin Luther said in Galatians chapter five, you can choose to jump off the ship of grace and go overboard and perish. But you're elect when you are in Christ. But it's conditional as well. Because Peter said in, well, before I get to conditional, let me just say it's by foreknowledge. In, sec, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter spoke of at the end of verse 1, beginning of verse 2, you see he says, he speaks it's to the elect, those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He foreknows because he's all-knowing, he knows everything, amen, including the future. So God knows who would accept him and who would reject him. And by the way, this was the, uh, understanding the early church for the first centuries, first few centuries of the early, of church history until the rise of Augustine and Roman Catholicism, okay? And you had some Thomists following Augustine and so forth, the ch- chief theologian of the Roman Catholic Church who started to teach that you didn't really have a choice, your salvation. But the early church fathers... To this day, even the uh, Greek fathers, the Greek Orthodox, who have a lot of strange things they've added on to salvation, but to this day, they quote the fathers, and they say, yeah, it's by foreknowledge. You know, that was their understanding of the early church. Yeah, it was. Catholic Church admits that, too, even though they have the, uh, T- Thomas Aquinas and, and Augustine as their theologians who would buck the biblical uh, truth there that was held by the early church. So election is also, uh, it's not only by God's foreknowledge, but it's also conditional. Okay, it's conditional. Peter says in Second Peter chapter one verses nine and ten. Remember that's we won't go into. We just had a whole thing went through every verse in Second Peter last we, last Wednesday night. But uh, he warns about those who he talks about growing in our faith and adding to our faith various things that we may grow in our salvation. And then he talks about not to you know become short sighted and blind where you forget that you're even cleansed from your past sins. Time to save people. They says make your calling and election what? Sure. That shows you that election is what? Conditional. Now, God knows from before the foundation of the world who will come to Christ, who will not, who will make their election sure, and who will not, okay? We don't know, and we press on to the faith, amen? So he loves us all. But the Bible says salvation is by grace through what? Faith. Some seem to read that as salvation is by grace through fate, okay? You know, the determinists. They seem to believe that faith is just something imposed upon you as a gift that's irresistible that you can't help but accept. In fact, R.C. Sproul said that God is a divine rapist, okay? And, uh, you know, basically you don't have a choice in your salvation, okay? Uh, Because he he calls him God, a divine or cosmic rapist. And no, God doesn't rape, man. He knocks. Amen? He'll knock loud because he doesn't want you to perish, amen? But you have to let him in. So uh, it's also individual, because prior to us coming to Christ, God has already planned to send his son to die for us, set his affections upon us, and Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners, and he continues to draw us, and even draws those who reject him. Amen? Amen? So that's important, and we're going to talk about that when we go into in calling. So uh, election is uh, conditional, it's individual, it's corporate, and it's by foreknowledge. Have you followed that pretty well? Good enough? Okay, let's go to predestination. It's related to election, amen? Because those who come to Christ, amen, and those who are in the elect who is Jesus, amen? And by the way, there's a lot of beautiful corporate pictures of Jesus and us being in him, like the branches in the vine, like the branches in the, in the olive tree in Romans 11, right? These are great pictures, stones in the temple, Amen. He's the chosen cornerstone, amen. He's the chief cornerstone, we're in him. But when it comes to predestination, predestination has to do with the destination of those who are chosen, those who come to Christ. Now, if somebody says, well, how do I know if I'm one of the elect or not? How can I be, you can become one of the elect. What do you mean? Turn to Jesus, put your faith in him. God's given you the ability to you know, otherwise there's no responsibility. You're not responsible if you can't respond to God's call. Response of all, I pointed out before, response able. So you're able to respond, responsible. That's where the words are put together. And there's no responsibility if we can't respond. Amen. Well, the scriptures are clear that if you're talking to someone, how, do, how can I be, make sure, how do I know if I have any? You can be among the elect. Just turn to Jesus. And whoever puts their faith in him, the Bible says we're baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Amen? And he's the elect one, and then therefore you will be one of the elect. You have a choice in it. You have to make the call election, sure. But once you receive Christ, amen, and you are in Christ, you're predestined by God. Okay? Those who are in Christ are predestined to glory. We're predestined to sonship as the adoption as sons. We're predestined to be holy and blameless. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless, Ephesians 1.4, amen. And predestination has to do, and by the way, did you notice, all these? All, every step of the way, I'm emphasizing what? Faith, amen. I'm emphasizing faith. You're making, In fact, check this out. When you look at being chosen and you look at predestination, Jesus gave out or talked about a king who was having a wedding for his son. Who's the king? The father. Who's the son? Jesus. Okay. And he gives the invitations out to the Jews. But it says of the Jews in 22 around verse 3, they were, speaks of many of them being unwilling to come. They were unwilling to come. Unwilling to come. And then in the end, there is a guy that comes, but he doesn't have the right clothes on, Right? Came in his own clothes. He didn't want to come in the clothes that the king said he needed. The the clothes, the the garments of salvation. Came in his own dirty, scummy self-righteousness. And he's booted out. And it's there that Jesus said, many are called, but few are what? Few are chosen. Because after they went to the Jews, then he said to go to the highways and byways and bring in whoever will come, right? It's for everyone. But why were many called, but few chosen? because he didn't want to save them. Well, you're ignoring Matthew 23, the very next chapter, right, where Jesus, how often I would have gathered you together, but you were unwilling. Well, in chapter 22, which comes before 23, it says they were unwilling to come. If you're not among the elect, it's because not because God didn't love you, because Jesus didn't die for you, but because you were unwilling to come to Jesus, amen? So when you come to Jesus and you are part of the elect, Before the foundation of the world, God uh, contemplates you in Christ and predestines you to glory. How so? He predestines his son who's going to glory. And whoever's in his son will be part of that predestined group. Amen? The question is, will you choose of your own libertarian free will to be part of that group and put your trust in Jesus or not? Okay? Now, uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, it's interesting because Paul talks about being predestined here in verse 11. He says, also we have obtained, uh, being chosen is verse 4, in him before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1.11, a few verses later, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been what? Predestined according to his what? Purpose. Or if you have an NIV, it says according to his purpose plan okay same thing okay what's his plan according to his purpose or plan who works all things after the counsel of his will I love that he works everything including the free will choices of evil people he works into the counsel of his will nothing happens on earth that God doesn't permit to happen amen but God never sins. He can't sin. The Bible says he can't do evil. He doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. But he uses the wrath of man to praise him. That blows me away, man. He puts the wicked in slippery places, amen, to accomplish his will. He knows what this person is going to do and that person is going to do. And we have to trust him, amen, put our faith in him for everything. And then it says, according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. Well, he predestined us uh, w- w- according to his plan. What's his plan? Look at the next verse. To the end that we who were first to what? Hope in Christ would what? Be the praise of his glory. His predestined plan is that whoever would put their hope in Jesus would be what? Saved. It's not that complicated. Look at verse 13. In him also after what? In him, it's all about being in Jesus, amen? In him... You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, by the way, when did this happen? When did salvation happen? After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also what? Believed you were what? Sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So our salvation doesn't take place before the world is created. Our salvation takes place and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit after we believe. Do you understand that? Then we're sealed, okay? And by the way, that's in the aorist tense. We've already been saved by God's grace, amen? Most Christians believe that, so I don't have to emphasize it all the time, but I do anyway because I think it's beautiful. We're already saved right now. But uh, notice that we're predestined, right? According to the purpose of His will, according to His plan. And what's His plan? That if you hear the gospel and you believe, you'll be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we're sealed in him. And we share in his destiny. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, go to Romans chapter 8 again. And we'll look at a verse before the one, one of the verses we read already. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. Well, before you read 29, 28, read 29 with me. For those whom he what? For new, remember we read this, we began with this verse, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that we would be, the, uh, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now understand and know that he's not speaking arbitrarily here, okay? He's not talking about just anybody being predestined and co- to be conformed to the image of his son. And by the way, notice that predestination right there is to be conformed to the image of his son, Amen. Well, the verse, what's the very first word in verse 29? For, right? For is a conjunction. It connects to the verse before that. And those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, for whom he predestined, or for whom he what? For whom he what? For knew. So just like election, Peter says, is according to the foreknowledge of God, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Predestination is also according to what? God foreknowing. Amen. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God's election and predestination are according to his foreknowledge. Okay. Prognosco here. Okay. Uh, He foreknows people. Who does he foreknow? Well,. The Bible says in Corinthians, Paul says, those who love him are foreknown by him. He knows ahead of time who will love him and who will not. Paul says, cursed is everyone who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Maranatha, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I think around verse 22. He knows who will love him. Are you saying that he knows here, the context is, he'll know the people that love him and those are the ones he predestined? Bible says faith works through love. By the way, it's by faith, Galatians one six. Absolutely, I'm saying that because just back up one verse and see what the word for connects to. Verse twenty eight, one of the most popular verses, probably the second most popular verse in the Bible, uh, along with John three sixteen. And we know that God what, Caused all things to work together, for the good, to who, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, that is those who love God. He knows who would love him. Amen. And our call, according to his purpose. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Faith works through love. So we're, not, we're saved by grace through faith, not by fate. God foreknows who will have faith, who will love him. Those who love God are known by him. He knew that you would hear the gospel. And he wasn't partial. The Bible says over and over again, God is not partial. And that he'd give you opportunity. Didn't mean you were better than anybody. In fact, it might have meant that you recognized you were worse than most people. Because God gives grace to the humble. Amen. There's no merit here. (laughs) The Christians are those who are poor in spirit. Who recognize there's nothing to boast in. Amen. Amen. So he predestines us according to his foreknowledge. This is really heavy when you think about it. Uh, Now, I want to encourage you guys to understand, too. In fact, go to Isaiah chapter 65. Because when you read Romans 9 and 10 and 11 about predestination and so forth and God's choosing, he comes down on the Israelites. Paul says, I would be cursed if... You know, you could be saved. He didn't have to be. Jesus was accursed for them and bore the curse of the law. Amen. He says, my heart's desire and prayer is for their salvation, Paul says. He says, it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. God shut up all the disobedience that he might have mercy on all. But they continue to reject the mercy that God offered them and his kindness that would bring them to repentance. And the apostle Paul says, he quotes from Isaiah 65. And in John, in, in Romans 10:21, 21, he, the, Paul says that the Lord said, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a, to a, 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 a same people. You know, it's like a picture of Jesus stretching out his hands for them to be all day long come. And that's a quote from Isaiah 65, which gives you a lot of insight on the interplay between God's choice, predestination, and free will. Because if you go to Isaiah 65, look what he says. Verse 1, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here, I, here am I, here am I, to a nation which did not call on my name. Look at verse 2, I have what? Spread out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. He's calling them to salvation, Okay, but they're rejecting him, a people, verse three, who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices and gardens and burning incense and bricks and talks about all their idolatry. Then look what he says in verse 11. But you who forsake the Lord, he's calling them. He wants them to be saved. You who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune. That's a false God, by the way. And who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny. Look what he says in verse 12. They they, they reject his call, his outstretched hands for their salvation. And they reject it. He's calling them to salvation. Verse 12, I will destine you for what? For the sword. And all of you will bow down to the slaughter. Why is that happening? Look at the next part of the verse. Because, because I called and you did not answer. That's why. Not because he predestined them to damnation because he didn't love them and wanted them to burn forever. No, because I called and you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight. And what? And chose, and chose that in which I did not delight. Wow. That's why verse 12 says, I will what? What's the first part of verse 12? I will what? Destine you. When did he know that they would go that route? Before the world was. He says he destined them. To the slaughter. Why? Because you didn't want to save them? No, because I, outstretched, I stretched out my hands and you would not respond. And because of this, because you chose, you made the choice, God honored their choice. You don't want to be with me? Well, then you're going to be judged. So we're predestined according to God's foreknowledge, and it's a rejection of God's grace and a refusal to come to Him in faith. It's very, very important to understand. What about calling? I've got to speed up, man. What about calling? What about calling? Well, I've just gone through chapter 22 where all these folks are invited to the wedding, right? Does everybody come? Yes or no? No. Remember what Jesus said in the very next chapter to the Jews that rejected him in chapter 23, verses 37 through 39, after it says just earlier that Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem. Those aren't crocodile tears. I really want to predestine all the damnation and I only want a few to be saved. No, that's not at all. Not at all. What does he say? He makes it really, really clear there. He says, How often I would have gathered you together as a hen does her chicks, but you were what? Unwilling to come. Now your house. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who slays the prophets and kills those who were sent to her. How often I would have gathered those outstretched hands, gathered you together as a hen does her chicks. You're invited to the wedding, but you, he says, were unwilling. They rejected the call. They rejected the call. In fact, I love what it says in John chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. I'm picking up verse 33. You have sent to John, Jesus says to the Pharisees, and he has testified of the truth. John the Baptist, he testified of the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not for man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He's saying these to those who are going to reject him. I'm saying these things that you may be what? Saved. He wants them to be saved. Amen. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Then in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It's these that testify what? About me. And you are what? Unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Now this is Jesus saying, I'm saying these things that you may be what? Saved. But you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. So he's calling them. But because you're called, doesn't mean you're automatically going to be saved. Now, sometimes the word called is used of those who've accepted the invitation, right? Who are trusting Jesus and following him. So it's important that we see that. And in fact, listen to Luke 730. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected. Check this out. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's plan or his purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Is that clear as day? They rejected God's purpose for them. The Bible says in John one, John came baptizing. He was not the light, but he was a light. He pointed to the light, right? That through his testimony, all would be saved. And that goes on to say, Jesus light the heart of everyone that comes in the world. And Jesus says, "I'm saying this, may be saved, but you won't come to me. That you may have life. You're unwilling to come to me." Amen. And then the scriptures say, the divine commentary by the Holy Spirit in Luke seven thirty. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So you can reject God's purpose for yourselves. Well, is it God's sovereign? Yeah, because guess what? Even if you reject his purpose in your salvation, he has another purpose for you. He caused the wrath of man to praise him. There's his antecedent will. His first primary will is your salvation. But there's his per- permissive will. He permits you because he didn't create robots. He wants those who will love him back and have a relationship with him The just shall live by faith, amen? He permits you to go the other way. So there's his subsequent will after his antecedent will. His decrees are stated, they're clear. He that believes, what? Puts his trust in Jesus? Puts your faith in Jesus will be what? Saved. And the scriptures also say those who don't believe, believe they're damned. So either you fulfill his uh, will for your salvation, you reject that, then there's his permissive will. He permits people to reject him because he doesn't want automatons, and there's his subsequent will. Okay, he has to be just, and he'll condemn you, because you'll have to, you decide to pay for your own sins. He says, okay, have at it. I didn't want that to happen to you, to the point of tears. Well, then there's uh, there's justification. Justification. We've looked at election. We've looked at predestination. We've looked at calling, right? And now justification. Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse 11, the just shall live by faith. There it is again, Galatians three eleven. But Paul's concerned about the church of Galatia, which a lot of these verses in Galatians, a lot of the book itself applies to what's called the Hebrew Roots Movement today, where a lot of believers, and they're trying, they're bringing all kinds of, spreading these lies throughout the internet right now, all over the place, that you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And they're not keeping the whole law of Moses, they just pick and choose. It's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. Millions strong in some form of the Hebrew Roots movement. Unbelievable. We're not saved by the works of the law. We're saved by what Paul, by by grace through faith. And we're under the new covenant, not under the old covenant. We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. Amen. And the scriptures are real clear. That um, there's New Testament commands, and they're part of the law of Christ. And we don't keep those commands to be saved. We keep them because we are saved, amen? Because we love Jesus and we're thankful for what he's done and who he is. And we, and we love him and want to live for him, therefore we're obedient if we're following him, amen? Now, Paul's concerned about the Church of Galatia because certain people came in and said, you got to be circumcised, like it says in the law of Moses. It's good that you have Jesus, but you also got to be circumcised, and you got to start keeping the Jewish calendar and the holidays and so forth. A lot of the Hebrew movement thinks, oh, we got to keep these holidays. Not a, lot, a lot of them say it, but a lot of them don't even want to get circumcised, which is kind of interesting. And Paul says, if you're going to be saved by law, you got to keep the whole law, whole enchilada." amen? Can't, can't, keep, can't remove one bean from the burrito, man. You got to eat the whole thing, man, and nobody could do it, Amen? In fact, Paul says, I'm, Paul says, I marvel, chapter one, verse six, that you're so quickly deserting him who has called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another gospel. If we or even an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, then that which we preach you, let it be accursed. He says in chapter three, you've begun well. You started in the spirit. Are you now gonna try to be perfected by the flesh? The just shall live by faith. Then look what he says in Galatians chapter five. I won't turn there because I've got to move on from calling in a second. But in Galatians chapter five, I mean, from justification in a minute. But he says in Galatians 5, Stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free. And don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the law. Remember, Jesus says, Come to all of you who are weary and heavy laden, right? Right? For my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy. We take Jesus' yoke, amen? We're no longer under the yoke of law. In fact, Peter says in Acts 15 when they had the first church council that even our forefathers, we couldn't keep this yoke, amen? And he says, don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the law. He says, if you do go back to the law, he says, you'll be cut off from Christ and you will fall from grace, okay? It's serious stuff. We're saved by grace through faith. Every step of the way, we're we're emphasizing you need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to be following Jesus, amen? You need to make sure you're putting faith in him, amen? In fact, in Romans chapter 11, Paul emphasizes faith in the book of Romans and Galatians more than any of the books. But in Romans chapter 11, verse 20, he talks about how they've been grafted in, these Gentile believers have been grafted in, amen? And he says, you stand through your faith. But then he warns them. He says, don't be high-minded against the branches that were broken off. Don't get an attitude against the Jews that were broken off because by God's grace that you're standing is what he's saying there. And a lot of people today, they're like, we're, we were, we've replaced Israel. And that's the exact concern Paul had because Paul goes on to say they can be grafted back in, the ones that were broken off, if they don't continue in their unbelief, which shows you that ha, they're not predetermined. They have a choice. But he says, you need to fear For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. And you could also be cut off if you do not what? Continue in the faith. So we're justified by grace through faith, but we must make sure we're trusting Jesus. Amen? Are you putting your faith in Jesus today? That's very, very important. Okay? In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, right after he says in verse 36, you have need of endurance to do the will of God. And then in verse 38 and 39, he says, the just shall live by faith. But if he draws back, the just one, the just shall live by faith. But if he, that's the just one, draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Amen? And I love what he says right after that because he's talking to Christians who've lost their homes or visiting prisoners who've risked their lives. And he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe unto the what? saving of the soul, perseverance, right, in faith to the end. But there are those who did draw back at that point who had been justified. So we're seeing over and over again through every step of the way what's required. Faith, amen. In fact, when, I talk, when we talk about faith, what verse do you hear me quote all the time? The just shall live by faith because God wants a dynamic relationship with you. He wants you to continue to trust him, continue to look to him in faith. Now, it's interesting regeneration wow man lord help me i was tempted to make two parts out of this but i want to try to get it done <sighs> regeneration i'll just this one's easy regeneration after we're justified justified means be made right with god right you've been made right with god because you've been forgiven of your sins and we come to Christ in faith, obviously by grace through faith, we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died according to, uh, by the word of God, the scriptures, according to the scriptures, that those who trust in, those who are holding the faith, 1 Corinthians 15, are saved. But we're right with God through faith. We must continue in the faith. Then there's, after we're made right with God, right? We're forgiven. Guess what God can do now? Can live in us, Amen. The Holy Spirit comes into us because we've been forgiven. And then when we've been forgiven, we're what? We're regenerated. We're born again. The Holy Spirit lives. We're made children of God. Amen? And the Bible over and over and over again talks about how belief and faith come before regeneration or being born again. In fact, in John 1.12, it says this. As many as received him, to those who believe in his name, receiving and believing... He gave the right to become what? Everybody know that? Remember that? To become the children of God. What, what, by the way, what happens first? Those he made children of God were able to believe then? No. As many as received him and believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So we're born again through what? Believing. Receiving and believing through faith. Amen? Through putting our trust in Jesus. Through faithfully looking to him, looking for, to him in faith. You died for me, Jesus. You rose again. Amen? So it's critical that we understand this. In fact, there's a present tense that's used in regard to, so regeneration is receiving, Jesus receiving eternal life into your heart. Amen? You're not just forgiven. Now you're forgiven of what you've done, but now God comes to live in you. A miracle of regeneration. Well, God does God do miracles today? Are you born again, brother, sister? That's a miracle right there. In fact, besides the resurrection, that's like probably the next greatest miracle. Amen? You've been born again. You were dead, but now you're alive. Amen? But there's an emphasis on continuing in the faith in regard to regeneration. In fact, let me read some of the uh, verses that are are popular or known by you, but let me bring out the tenses. John 3.15, that whosoever is continuously believing in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16, everyone who believes and continues to believe, right? John 3, 18, he who believes and continues to believe is not condemned, but he who does not believe and continues not to believe stands condemned already. John 20, 30 and 31, listen to this. Therefore, my many other signs, Jesus also performed in the presence of many disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of of God, and believing and believing and believing, you may have life in his name. Verse 31, bringing out the Greek tenses, that by believing and continuing to believe, you may have and continue to have life in his name. That's why John was written, that we might believe and continue to believe, that we may continue to have life in his name, which fits really well with John chapter 15, verse 6. Those that abide in him, right? Are, if you don't abide, you're cut off. But if you're trusting Jesus, you're abiding in the vine, you continue to share his life. Amen which is a result of regeneration, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Romans one seventeen, uh, Romans one sixteen. for the power of God is for salvation to everyone who believes and continues to believe. That's the Greek tenses. Romans 1.17, for therein uh, is this, this the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay? He that has a son has a life. He that does not have the son does not a life. 1 John 5.13 if you who believe and continue to believe, I'm sorry, that you who believe, these things are written, that you who believe and continue to believe on the name of the Son of God may know that you have eternal life. Henry Alford, one of the top scholars of the past, writes, so in 1 John 5:12 and 13, the believing and having eternal life are commensurate. Where the faith is, the possession of eternal life is. And when one remits, the other is forfeited. So it's imperative that we continue in the faith, to continue to have the life because we're saved by grace through faith. In fact, in John cha- 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 through 26, he's warning them. He says, let that remain in you which you heard from the beginning. That's the gospel. If that which you heard from the beginning of the gospel remains in you, you will also continue in the Father and the Son. And this is the promise, eternal life. I'm writing these things, verse 26, concerning those who are trying to seduce you. So we continue to trust Jesus. Sanctification. Hagias, sanctification, and now I'm going to go really quick, guys. Sanctification uh, is a process whereby we are made holy. So after, you know, we've responded to our call, after we put our trust in Jesus and we're justified, amen, after we are uh, regenerated and born again, amen, all through faith, by the way, we are being sanctified. As soon as we receive Christ, God gets to work and begins to make us more like Jesus. He doesn't just catch the fish as fishers of men, right? He cleans his fish. He makes us more like Jesus. And sanctification is a process of becoming more and more like Jesus and being transformed in his glory. Which, by the way, like everything else I've been mentioning, happens through faith. It says this in Acts 26, 18. Paul says that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We're being sanctified through faith. Amen? By continuing to put our trust in Jesus. However, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and following... He warns of those who would commit apostasy and turn away, and he warns them, for if we, he even includes himself, go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for a fire indignation which will consume the adversaries of God. For if they were put to death under two or three witnesses under the law of Moses, how much worse do you suppose he shall suffer who rejects the Son? And he says, and have what? Insulted the spirit of grace, he talks about there. trampled underfoot, listen to this, and trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified. And were sanctified there in the passive voice. It's something God did. He's the one that sanctifies us by his, the blood of Christ. But if we reject the blood of Christ, we're no longer sanctified. So again and again, what do we find out here? That you must continue in the faith every step of the way. Oh, we reached number seven. Glorification. The name of this message is seven steps to uh, glorification in heaven. Amen. Or heaven heaven how would I title that thing? <laughs> seven steps to heaven's glory. I'm getting the word glorification stuck in because all these words end with with a shin at the end, right? Pretty much. Glorification. Glorification is when we're resurrected. When we, we go to be with the Lord forever and we're totally transformed and our our bodies are transformed in the image of his body. Jesus said that that requires faith. He that endures the end will be saved. Now notice this, this is really, really heavy. God has predestined us and chosen us to be in Christ and those who come to Christ will move through and those who continue in the faith will move through every step unto glorification. But what's his end goal for us who are chosen? Listen to Ephesians one. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us, listen to this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we, now listen, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. God chose us so that at the end we'd be with him holy and blameless, right? That only happens through what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection, the gospel, amen? That we could be holy and blameless right? That's his goal for us. And that's ultimately glorification in the heavenly kingdom. Now listen to Ephesians 5.7, 5, 5.27, which he says a little bit later. He talks about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her, right? He, that he might present her, the church to himself in all her glory. Amen? Now look at verse 27. Listen. That he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. There it is again. God's emphasizing something for a reason. That's God's plan for his bride. That's his bride for eternity that comes out of heaven in Revelation 21 and 22. Prepared like a bride for her husband, amen? That we'd be holy and blameless, be able to be sons of God, overcomers with our bridegroom for all eternity, amen? Holy and blameless, he's chosen us for that. They might present us to holy and blameless, amen? But it doesn't mention faith there for glorification. Go to Colossians, the twin epistle of Ephesians, both written around the same time when Paul was in prison, saying many of the same things, but many different things as well. Look at Colossians chapter one, verse 21. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds, yep, we were, yet he has now what? Reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you, listen to this, in order to present you before him, what? Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. How many want to be presented? On judgment day, holy and blameless, beyond reproach, before the throne of God. Amen? Amen? We've read this three times now. Well, praise the Lord, I'm chosen, and it's gonna happen no matter what. No, look at the very next verse. If indeed you what? If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. We've gone full circle now, haven't we? Standing fast in the gospel, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, which I, Paul, was made a minister. Wow. Even glorification. To be glorified, we need to continue in the faith, and he'll present us holy and blameless if we continue the faith. Now, praise God, because he, we are kept by the power of God, it says, through faith. But he keeps us, amen? You just look to him, and he'll keep you, Amen. No one can snatch us out of his hands. Nobody can take us out of the body of Christ, amen. We just simply need to trust Jesus. He's able to present us holy and blameless and keep us from falling, amen. We just look to Jesus. The very last verse we're looking at, go to Revelation chapter 17. When Jesus comes back and the believers are resurrected from the dead, the dead in Christ rise first. and they, those, who, those of us who are still alive, we we'll cop to meet him in the air, Amen. Who's he coming with when he destroys the Antichrist? Verse 14, Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war, these 10 nations that give their power to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are those who came up to an altar call and then backslid for the rest of their lives, but hey, they're with him anyway. Is that what it says? No, those who with, are with him who are what? Are the called. And the What? chosen, and what? Faithful. That's who's with him in the end, those who remained faithful. Amen? Praise God, you guys. We went through all seven steps. I didn't turn into two messages. We ran a few minutes late, but if we take the cup and the bread, we'll still beat our old time. Okay, let's all please stand.